And for the rest of us, if you got Mindy's um, email this week, you know that we're going to be in Psalm 56. Psalm 56. So if you got a chance to read Psalm 56 this week, you know that this is a Psalm of David. And it's a Psalm of David when David was on the run. I entitled the message this morning that I know that God is for me. So if you've read the psalm, you'll see that that is a line in this psalm. I know that God is for me, moving from fear to faith. See, David wrote this psalm when he was going through trouble. He had been promised by God that he is going to be king over Israel, but that was a promise that was going to be in the future. It hadn't happened yet. In God's eyes, David was king. He had been anointed king, but on the throne, literally, there was a king, and his name was Saul. And Saul, knowing that David had been anointed king, he was evil. He was angry. He was jealous. And he went after the attack of David. And David had to leave his homeland. David needed to leave his own people because he was afraid. He was afraid that he was going to be killed by Saul. Saul figured that if I kill David, then I'll be able to remain king here in Israel. God had other plans, so David was on the lamb. David was on the run. Now David left his people of Israel, and if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 21, you'll see the backdrop to this passage. So if you get a chance this afternoon, maybe you can read through that in 1 Samuel 21. David runs from his people, and now he runs to the land of Gath. Now, if you know anything about Gath, Gath is, in that area, is a homeland for Goliath. And if you know of David's life, if you know of David's life, you know that David killed Goliath. It was a remarkable victory of God in David's life, and a remarkable victory for the people of God. Now David is running through his own natural people and he's running to a group of people that are his avowed enemies. Now back then, they didn't have pictures. They would not have known what David looked like. David is in fear of his life from Saul. He is now going to this persecuted group, this group of Philistines. And David needs food. So he goes to this land of Nob and he he finds somebody to give him some food. And he needs a weapon. Well, the only weapon they have is this sword. And David looks at that sword and says, I know that sword. I took that sword off of Goliath. And he takes the sword. I don't know what David was thinking. David goes from his own homeland to the Philistines, Goliath's people, and he goes with Goliath's sword. That is a sure sign that this is a man that we don't like, and they're going to attack him. I was thinking that when I go through fear, and probably when you go through fear, you don't think clearly. I don't. When I find myself overwhelmed, I find myself spiraling in my thoughts, and my thoughts are out of control, and I just don't know what I'm thinking, and David's not thinking very clearly here. And David finds himself being overwhelmed. There's a persecuting king from Israel. There's enemies in Philistine. He has been anointed king. He knows the promise of his kingship, but right now he is not sure. What in the world is going on, God? Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been a place in your life where it's like, God, I just don't get it. 
I love the Psalms because oftentimes what you're going to find in the Psalms is exactly that thing. The emotions that you're going through every day, the emotions that I go through every day are found in the Psalms. And in those Psalms, those prayers and those confessions and those cries out of mercy, God, I just don't get it. Well, that's what David is saying. God, I am on the pursuit. The the enemy is on the pursuit against me today. I want you to think this morning about three points that we're going to hit. We're going to hit more time on the second point. The first point I want you to consider is that David cries out for grace against the malicious group of people. God, he's crying out to God for his grace because it's a malicious group of people that are coming against him. The second, where we're going to spend most of our time, is the confidence that he puts in a merciful God. See, the way that we move from fear to faith is that we put our confidence in the God who is all-powerful and ever-present. That God who you can trust. His word who you can trust. So he puts his confidence in a merciful God. And then he ends the psalm by talking about his calling. A ministry of gratitude. That because you have saved me, because you have delivered me, this is what I'm going to do for you, God. This is what I'm obligated to do for you. So let's start with the first one. He cries out for grace to deal with this malicious group of people. In verse 1 it says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. David is... uh, kind of hearkening back to a psalm psalm 4 it says this answer me when i call O god of my righteousness you have given me relief when i was in distress be gracious to me and hear my prayers god he is calling out for divine intervention he's calling out to god and he uses the word elohim god the creator god god i'm calling out to you i know that saul is angry and jealous i know these philistines hate me and are upset with me but god i am calling out to you right now i'm crying out for your grace i'm crying out for your mercy see that's exactly where we need to go in the midst of our fears that's exactly where we need to go in the midst of our difficulties to cry out to god James Boyce in his commentary said that David was afraid and he was desperate and he was alone. Have you ever felt that way? I'm so afraid, God. I go to work and I'm afraid that my boss is going to fire me if I don't do what he wants me to do. I'm afraid maybe when you're sitting in your home or afraid when you're in your area. Maybe you're afraid of the election that's going to happen. I don't know the terror that is happening in this world. Every day it looks like my phone lights up with another terror attack that is happening over and over again. And maybe you're afraid that what we see over there may come over here. I don't know what it is that you're afraid of. But all of us struggle with fear. All of us struggle with difficulties time after time. David was afraid. He was desperate. He was alone. And David said here, he says... I need need your grace, God. He says, man tramples on me. They are crushing me. They are overwhelming me, God. And David says, my oppressors attack me. The attackers oppress me. They are pressing me in, God. It feels like it's coming on every side. You've felt that way before, haven't you? He says in verse 2, my enemies trample on me all day long. He calls his attackers now enemies. They're powerful adversaries. They're insidious. They hate him. 
He duplicates it here for some reason. He duplicates it because he wants to show you that there's an intensity, there's a frequency, there's a duration to the suffering that he's going through. You know, oftentimes in the Psalms, we will find that this is a continual attack that happens. See, if it was just a one-time attack, we could handle it. But if the attack is happening over and over and over again, you go to bed, you wake up, it feels like you're oppressed again. You go to bed, you wake up, it feels like you're oppressed again. You've felt that way. Well, David is feeling that way, and he is on the run. He has got a group of people behind him that love the ambush. They are attacking him consistently. And he says here in verse 2, for many are attacking me proudly. There's an arrogance to them, God. There's such a pride. They think they're on top. They think I am nothing. They think you have no power to protect me, God. That's the arrogance that they're showing. Now, for most of us, when we find ourselves in that type of fear and in that type of situation, we run. Go back with me to the beginning of this, and maybe in your psalm, you know, just before verse 1, it gives an explanation of how this psalm was to be used. And it says, To the choir master, according to the dove on far off Terebinth, a victim of David, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath, you probably don't often read those, right? Um, remember that the Psalms were songs. These were songs that were sung in the congregation of the time. So David, in all likelihood, is probably telling them the tune that I want you to sing this Psalm to. Can you go back one chapter to chapter 55 and look at verse 6 and 7? It says, and I say, oh, that the wings, I had wings like a dove, that it would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in a wilderness. In all likelihood, David had created a, a tune to go with Psalm 55, and he is saying in Psalm 56, use the same tune, hear some different words. But I want you to think about this, this dove that flies away. When you find yourself attacked on every side, don't you find yourself wanting just to get away? <laughs> there was an old commercial, I'm dating myself, Calgon, take me away, right? <laughs> oh, the callousness of this attack is causing him to want to run. So David moves from crying out because of this malicious group of people, and he moves to a confidence in a merciful God. He says this in verse three when i am afraid i put my trust in you you know i i really appreciate that the psalms are honest about the emotions that we go through the psalms tell you that you are going to be afraid at times what it says is this in my fear you don't have to fear now here's the point in my fear, I don't have to spiral into the fear. In my fear, I don't have to give into panic. In my fear, I can trust. I can move from fear to faith. How? He's going to tell us. I'm looking forward to that. Gill in his commentary said, I will trust in thee. Trust and confidence in the Lord is the best antidote against fear. Who is unchangeable in his love, 
who is everlasting in His strength, who is faithful and true to every word and every promise He's ever given you. That's the God that you can trust in the midst of your fear. And David said this, I put my trust in you, not in them. See, he puts his faith in the person of God and he puts his faith in the promises of God. And it's exactly where we need to be in our lives. Look here, he says this, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. David assures himself. David encourages himself. He strengthens himself by the word of God. How did this happen? I don't know. I just know this, that God, that David had disciplined himself to be in the word of God before this attack had come. I think part of the problem that we have as believers is that when the attacks come, we then try to go to the word and try to couple, find a couple of verses that are going to help me. And when we go to that verse and we read the verse and we think it's going to be all of a sudden this medicine and all of a sudden everything's going to change. But that's not what happened with David. David had built up some spiritual muscle as he was studying the Word, as he was meditating on the Word, and as he was memorizing the Word. Because that Word had now saturated his life and now he could use that Word practically in the midst of this struggle. He put his confidence in God. He listened to God. He says, basically, what can flesh do to me? Basically says, I'm going to shake off all of my confidence in what's going to happen externally. I'm going to depend on you. Humanity is like grass of the field. It is here for a moment. It's gone. Right? In an instant, our lives can be gone. It, scripture says our lives are like a vapor. It's here for a moment, and we're gone. So why am I afraid of Saul? Saul has been gone for thousands of years. David continues to exist for all of eternity because of his trust in God. Verse 5, he says this, all day long. Now, I appreciate this next section because it's not just reading a verse and feeling good. David says, okay, God, I trust you, but let me tell you again what they're doing. All day long, they injure my cause Better translated, they're twisting my words. Isn't that happening today? Don't we live in a culture where we are called phobic for saying that there's something wrong with a person's behavior? We're twisted. We're called evil because we want to try to lovingly tell you that the path that you're on is going to take you to destruction. We're twisting. They're twisting our words today. They're twisting our motives today. We are called intolerant. We're called unloving. We're called ungracious. And it's like, what in the world? Your words are being twisted. David's feeling that way. All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Time after time. I don't know if this is a foreign or domestic attack against David. I don't know if it's the Philistines that he's focusing on right now or Saul that's pursuing him. Whether it's foreign or domestic, he is focusing on the fact that there's enemies that are against him and they're twisting his words. They're hiding themselves. They're looking to ambush him. And they're coming from every direction and it doesn't seem like they're going to be satisfied until he's dead. Every moment of their life, they're waiting to pounce on him, waiting to destroy him. 
Verse 6, they stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, they've waited for my life. And David starts to look at the quality of God, the character of God, to try to get him out of this pit. And he pulls on the character strings of God to remind him of who God is. His confidence in this merciful and gracious God. He says in verse 7, For their crimes will they escape, and wrath cast them down, cast down the people, O God. The first thing he looks to is a confidence in a God of justice. It may seem like people get away with things today, but they won't ultimately. Every person in this room and every person who's ever lived will stand before God and have to give an account. And God is a God of justice. And David is thinking, can they actually get away with this God? And then he reminds himself, God's a judge. God is a God of justice. He will judge. I also wonder if it is that people in their arrogance think that they're going to get away with judgment. They're not going to have to be judged. Maybe they actually think that what they're doing is right. David reminds himself once again, God's in control. God is a God of justice. There's a second thing that I think that he sees here. It's not only that God is a God of justice, but God is a God of awareness. He says, for the crimes will they escape and wrath cast down the people, O God. Then he says, you have kept count of my tossings. Your version may say wanderings. God not only is a judge who will protect you through judgment, but there's a second, he's a God who's aware of everything that you've ever gone through. God has meticulously recorded every step in your life. God is aware of every person that has ever harmed you. God is aware of every person that has insulted you. God is aware of every time that your words have been twisted. God is aware and he's kept count of your tossings. God, you see, that's amazing to me. That God, I feel like I am utterly alone, but I'm not alone because you're here and you're aware of what I'm going through. But there's a third thing that he sees. Not just a God of justice, not just a God of awareness, but a God of compassion. He says, you put my tears in your bottle. Some of us cry a lot. Some of us cry a little. But there was this ancient thing that happened that what they would do is they would take a jar, it was usually a wineskin, and when you would go through times of grief and mourning, you would put that jar up and you would catch the tears in that jar. And what that jar would be, then it would be sealed and it would be symbolic of the grief that you've gone through. And David's saying, God, you're catching my tears. You know every one of them because he's a God of compassion. He's a God of concern. He sees the tears and he wants to wipe those tears away. You remember in Revelation, it said this, verse 7, verse 17. It says, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of living water. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. 
Or how about in Revelation 21.4, he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor any more. For the former things have passed away. That is the God of compassion. See, that's the God. That I'm crying today, but He is taking me to a day where there's going to be no more tears. No more suffering. No more pain. So I can look to a God of justice. I can look to a God of awareness. I can look to a God of compassion and concern. But I can also look to a God who remembers. It says, are they not in your book? See, God in his book records, he chronicles your pain. He records it. He accounts for it. He registers it. There are times that you're tempted to believe that God doesn't care for you. I'm telling you. On the authority of God's word, he cares for you. And he knows everything that you've gone through. He remembers your pain. He records it. Matthew 10, Jesus had said that he even knows the very hairs of your head. So God takes special notice of the afflictions that you endure. Now that confidence of that kind of God is starting to turn him. He says in verse 9, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. I think what he means when I call, he is talking about a prayer. He's a God who listens. A God of justice, a God of awareness, a God of compassion and and concern, a God who remembers, but he's a God who listens to you. He hears your prayers if you trust in him. See, this is the dilemma for most of us as believers. We don't study the Word and we don't pray to God. And these are the tools that He has given you to connect with Him. He speaks to you through His Word and He wants you to speak to Him through prayer and He wants to listen to you. He's crying. He wants you to call out to Him. And when you call out to Him, your enemies will go. Maybe not immediately. And maybe not on my time. But God is in control. That he says that those enemies are going to turn back in the day that I call. But then he goes to the God who protects. This is the one that blows my mind. He says, this I know, that God is for me. This I know, that God is for me. So sometimes when I go through a study, I kind of linger on words. I try to go back to the original language to figure it out, but I just kind of linger on words. So I want you to think about each word in this phrase, because I think each word in this phrase can move you from fear to faith. This I know. I was thinking about the word know. Because there are different types of knowledge today, right? There's a knowledge that is more factual and informational. I know information. You may read the Bible. You may have been in 15,000 Bible studies and you know information factually. But that's not what he's talking about. There's a knowledge that's factual and uh, and knowledgeable and information-based. But then there's a knowledge that's intimate and personal. It's deep. I think that's what David's getting out here. He's saying, this I know. This is not superficial. This is deep. This is not temporal. This is lasting. This is not just information. This is practical. It is the witness that God has kept His Word in my life. God's a promise keeper. And I can trust Him. 
It's kind of like, you remember Abraham had to take his son Isaac up to an altar? And the writer to the Hebrews told us that he, remembering the promise that Abraham's seed was going to be blessed through this son, and he was called to take the life of his son, Abraham perceived that God must be able to raise the dead. Because he trusted so much in the promise of God that God, if you're asking me to do this, and you're telling me that this is going to happen, you must be able to raise the dead. Well, David's doing the same thing. Years ago, God, you said I was going to be king over Israel. You anointed me. I'm trusting you today. This I know. That these enemies may be pursuing me, but they will not ultimately overwhelm me. This I know, that God is for me. And I think that's the dilemma that most of us have. We don't believe that. We may know it informationally. We may know it factually. But when the rubber meets the road, we do not trust in a God who has your six. A God who has your back. A God who is never going to leave you or forsake you. And David was able to get to a place in his life where I trust you, God. I trust your word. In verse 10, he says, In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. You remember on the back of our money? I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? He repeats himself again because the attacks are repeated. I need to repeat myself and repeat the truths over and over again in my life. He praises God for who he is. He praises God for his word. He assures himself of the promises of God. Here, he actually changes. And if you look in verse 10, you see he's been talking about God, 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 Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. And now he moves to Yahweh. He says, in the Lord whose name I praise. He now moves to the covenantal name of God. It's not just the God who's my creator. It is the God who's my savior. The God who's my lover. The God who is my faithful one. I guess I want you this morning to think about this. As I said before, David must have saturated himself with God's word. He knew that there was a permanent nature to God's word. He knew that it was eternal. He knew that it was sufficient. He knew that it was adequate. He knew that it was food. In Deuteronomy, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He knew that this word was transformative. I don't even know if he knew that he was penning Scripture as he was writing these Psalms, but he knew that the Scripture that he had at the time was a Scripture that was going to help him in the most difficult times. You know how many people bled and died to give you this book? And I say this to you over and over again because the only answer that we as pastors can give you is what is found in this book. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he's given you a book to tell you who God is and who you are and what God has done for you. Do you study this book? Do you meditate on it? Do you memorize it? David knew it. David knew it deeply in his heart and that's why he was able to use it in the midst of the difficult times. David says, when I'm afraid, I refuse to give in to my fears. When I'm afraid, what is the worst thing that man can do to me that can take my life? It's the worst thing that humanity can do. 
I was thinking of this song by um, Tommy Dorsey, and most of you know Tommy Dorsey as a great jazz musician, but he actually wrote a couple of hymns. And, and one of the hymns he wrote was, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storms and through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. You know when he wrote that? He wrote that after the death of his, his wife and his child. How is it that a man could write something like that after the death of his wife and his child? Because he trusted in God. How is it that David could write a psalm like he wrote in the midst of the chaos and the confusion he's going through? Because he trusted in God. So David cries out for grace to deal with the malicious gang. He calls out to a confident God, uh, confidence in a merciful God, and then finally, his calling to a ministry of gratitude. David ends the psalm by saying that humanity is just mere dust and mortals and they're insignificant, they're impotent. But God, you've protected me. You're the God who saves me. That's the last quality that he thinks about of God. Yeah, God, you, you, you are a judge and you're aware and you're compassionate and you're God who hears and you're God who listens and you're God who protects. But now you're a God who saves. That's really what I'm looking for. I want deliverance. Well, Dave says it here. David says it here. He says in verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanks offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. David has been saved. Now the commentators are going to uh, debate whether David is looking forward to a physical salvation from these enemies or that David actually had secured this physical salvation and now he's writing the psalm. I tend to believe that David is still in the desert, still in the wilderness, still being oppressed and he's writing the psalm. I'm believing that David, as he's writing this, is trusting that God is going to do it because he's trusting the promises of God. doesn't matter either way. He recognizes that God is the God of salvation. And he says, I have gratitude. It's interesting that he uses the word, I must perform. We have this phrase in our home, this little catchy thing. We go, you need to obey right away, all the way, with a good attitude every day. Obedience is not oftentimes talked about in, in life. But we're called to obey. Remember what the song goes? Trust and obey. For there's no other way. David recognized that I'm trusting you. Now I need to obey you. I need to obey you regardless of how I feel. Because right now, God, I'm feeling fearful. But I'm feeling desperate. I'm feeling alone. But I need to obey you regardless. And he talks about salvation. I think David is also looking past just the physical salvation from these enemies, Saul and the Philistines. I think that David is looking to eternal salvation. I know my Redeemer liveth, as Job said. He's looking forward to the true freedom that he's ultimately going to have from God. He says here as well, he says, that I may walk before God. I was thinking about that word walk. Walk takes on this idea of progress. It takes on this idea of a continual action. It's a habitual form of life. It implies progress. 
So if you're submitting to God's leading and you're walking through life day after day, responding in obedience, you will grow. Walk is an action. It's about advancement. It's about a manner of life. So I guess I ask you, as your manner of life, as you go through your fears and the difficulties, are you walking with God? Are you trusting Him? He says, I can walk before God. I love that phrase. Before God tells me about the presence of God. There's a catechism that says that our primary purpose is to to enjoy, uh, to glorify God, and then the second part of it, I can enjoy God. I can walk in your presence today, and I can walk in your presence for all of eternity. And then he ends by saying that I may walk before God in the light of life. Light is used oftentimes in Scripture to talk about uh, guidance or life or uh, vitality. Light. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, bef- comes, to, comes to the Father but before me. Yeah, good. That's good. Cut that out. <laughs> I know that God is for me. I guess the last question I want you to think about before we end is this. Do you know that God? See, I know that God is for me is only for those that have a covenantal relationship with God in the person and the work of Christ. See, David didn't know the name of Christ, but he knew that there was a Redeemer. He was looking forward to a Redeemer. We do know the name of Christ. We look backward to that Redeemer. See, the only one that God is for is those that are in his family, those that trust in him. Can you turn with me just briefly to Romans chapter 8, and we'll end with this. In Romans chapter 8, I want to believe that David, I'm sorry, that uh, Paul is thinking of David's psalm as he writes this. And maybe you need to think about uh, how you would answer the question, do I know that God, based on this. In verse 31 of chapter 8 of Romans, it says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what is it? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, those that are in Christ? It is God who justifies. You know what justifies means? You're declared not guilty. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are done that God's righteousness of Christ has been placed upon your account, that God looks at you on your worst day. You're infinitely loved and totally accepted and completely forgiven because of God in Christ. That he took your character and conduct and placed it on Christ, and he took Christ's character and conduct and placed it on you. You're justified. No one can condemn you. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, it's the one who was raised. And he's at the right hand of God and he is interceding. He's praying for you right now as you're going through those fearful times. Oh man, Jesus is praying for me. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Whatever was happening to David, 
Whatever is happening in your life, nothing will separate it. He quotes here, he says, For their sake they're being killed all the day long, their sheep regarded to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, including Saul and the Philistines, or whatever it is, ISIS, whatever it is, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a perfect salvation. What a purposeful Father. What a passionate Savior. What a promise that you have that the fears that you go through and the difficulties that you go through, there's a faith that is greater than that fear. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ today? Would you pray with me? Lord, as we close this, um, this time, one person once said that courage is not the absence of fear. It is doing the right thing despite your fears. He's right. Lord, in the midst of our fears, remind us of what is true. Father, far too often we remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that David, he cried out to you for grace to deal with the malicious gang that was around him. He had a confidence in you because you're a merciful God and then he knew he had a calling, a ministry of gratitude. Father, it's easy to to say these words. It's easy to hear these words. It's the other thing to actually put them into practice. David saw who you were, and that gave him confidence in the midst of the great fears. So, Father, take us from the spirals to stability. Take us from the chaos to, to certainty. Take us from the testing to freedom. Take us from fear to faith. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen and amen.